You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So today we start our sermon series, and we're going to be looking today at, I think, a foundational verse that's kind of behind it all. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some um, available Um, and they can also be a gift to you from Thrive if you don't have one. We've got a New Testament that I think Vern has a few of. Anybody need one to follow along with today? Okay. Also, um, you can look on, if you have a Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or iPad, you can go under it, and when you get to, you can get to this section called More, you go to Live, and you will notice that gifted by faith, Thrive Community Church is there, and you get the notes right there in your Bible. Like, I'm amazed at, I didn't do it, of course. I give the notes to Phil right now. I've got to learn how to actually do this. I'm so old, you know. When I think apps, I think of appetizers. That's me and food. So, um, but anyways, there is an app for that. We'd love for you to have those notes and kind of consider this uh, a little more. So, um, Everything in life is a gift. The video at the beginning said that. Um, We had some gifted people put that video together. We thank you uh, for that. But everything in life is a gift, okay? That's kind of a fundamental point. And I'll tell you this. This is what's, I think, even fascinating. Having the perspective that everything in life is a gift is a gift. (laughs) Most people don't think everything in life is a gift. Most people don't have that framework. Most people don't see it that way. Um, Today, more than ever, in the United States, most people still are looking at life as something you grab onto and get yourself, and we've got enough giddy-up to do it. We've got enough that can get us going, and we can go and get it, and the majority of people think that. The millennial generation, a recent survey said 96% of them, I know people in the millennial generation don't like to be considered part of a generation, don't label me and all that stuff, but 96% of young adults stated that they were sure they will get where they want to be in life by their own efforts and abilities to get it. Now, that same survey done of a young adult generation in the 1950s had only 12% of the people say that. Isn't that fascinating? And I would say the generation in the, growing up in the 50s, that probably 90% of that generation had more opportunities to get it because the America was in a different place. And I'm surprised. What's going to happen when 96% of the millennium generation realizes they don't get everything they thought they were going to? Are they going to start looking at it differently? You know, our optimism itself, our optimism in our ability to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, is almost its own faith system. (laughs) But today, we're going to look at the fact that life is a gift. Everything in life is a gift. And when we have that perspective, the fruits of that life becomes one of abundance, one of humility, one of gratitude. But when we don't have that perspective, when we don't see life as a gift, when we don't understand this basic 
given of life, when we have a different perspective of I got to get it, I've got to take it when I can, I've got to go for it, then life becomes competition, survival of the fittest. You know, the American can-do spirit, pick myself up, make myself, get what I want when I want. That's why I think this passage at the beginning is so important because every other time that we're going to preach on this or speak on this, and very short next week, um, on giftedness is based on the fact that we've got a good, good father who gives good gifts, who gives us everything that we have, and everything is a gift. And when we have that, and everything in life is a gift, then we are able to really um, understand what it means to be gifted by the Spirit, gifted for ministry, gifted for godliness, gifted with talents. Otherwise, we're going to use it as entitlements or something else. So, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, let's read that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think uh, when Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church, he was very particular, very specific in the order of his language and what was going on. And that is, by grace, through faith, for works. That order is so important. If you get that order, any other combination of that order, uh, it's not by works, through faith, for grace. It is not saved by faith through grace for works. It is, Paul was specific, by grace, through faith, for works. And then we've got good news, not just good advice. Then we've got God's power, the gospel, and not God's pep talk trying to get you to do more. Can you, uh, this is so important to have that order down. Let's re repeat after me on this one. By grace, through faith, for works. Okay, by grace. By grace. The cause of your faith, the cause of how faith even comes about is by grace. So that faith itself is a gift. And that's what we're talking about today. This is so important. There are a lot of churches you can hear um, somehow, even though they say by grace through faith, often it flips around so easily in our minds and we turn it around and we get by faith through grace. And what I mean by that is you'll hear, well, if you just believe, if you just pray hard enough and send me $100, no, um, that's a tele, you know, sometimes. But if you just believe, then God will step in and bring his power to bear in your life. And then all of a sudden things happen. But if you don't have that faith, then the great, you, do you understand? Then all of a sudden I'm starting to check my spiritual pulse. Do I have enough faith? Do I have faith? How is my faith today? Is my faith enough? Do I have enough faith today to really believe God's promises? Because if I don't believe them, then those promises are... Do you understand how that goes? All of a sudden, you become very introspective, and then you're always trying to keep up your surrender, trying to keep up your goodness, trying to... And faith doesn't... 
is no longer faith anymore. Faith becomes works. It becomes a work you do in order to get God to have enough favor on you to get where you want to go. It's just amazing how that order gets all kind of convoluted if you don't get, how, what's the order again? By grace, through faith, for works. Faith comes from God's grace, a gift from God. There's no boasting, it says in this passage, as a result. Otherwise, if faith is something I conjure up, I get to, and I come up with, then all of a sudden, I'm trying to work it out, trying to figure it out, and then I've got something to boast about. Because look at me, look at my faith, look at what my faith did. Archimedes, I don't know if anybody study him in college. Do you know who Archimedes is? You know, you know who, Mar well, these are any Archimedes, who was he? Kind of a Greek dude, right? He's dead long ago, right? Smart guy, he came up with this phrase. Have you heard the phrase? Give me a lever and I will move the air. But he, you know what? There's a section in it that we often skip. He didn't say just give me a lever and I will move the earth. He said give me a lever and a firm place to stand and I will move the earth. Faith is a lever. If you don't have a firm place to stand, it doesn't matter what you It's not going to work. The firm place to stand is grace. It's the foundation to everything. God's grace for you. You see, because um, the reality in the scriptures and the reality in my life is I cannot conjure up, manufacture, or even come up with enough faith. My life is kind of a mess. We are not uh, Christians that come together and think how good we are and like, you better... And we're not given pep talks here about how you're going to get more faith and do more good things and you better get out there. We don't reverse this order. We are coming together and we realize, first and foremost of all, I'm broken. I'm a mess. I've actually not just broken. I've broken things. I've broken myself. I've broken relationships. I... Paul says it in Romans chapter 3, he puts it this way, in Romans 3, verse 10b to 11, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. It's pretty blunt. That's why we need grace. Because grace doesn't start by looking, wait a minute, now if you first seek for me, then I will do something for you. Grace realizes, grace is the shepherd that goes out and looks for the sheep. Grace is the, the father who keeps looking out the window, waiting for that prodigal. Grace is the one who seeks and saves what is totally lost and is not, there's nothing there. But somehow, most people still think, well, I'm not all that bad. This is I've uh, recently read a book um, by David Zoll, Ethan Richardson, and William McDavid, and in it um, they said this, one of the most puzzling aspects of human behavior is our ability to know exactly what we should do on everything from keeping up with laundry to abstaining from adultery and fail to do it. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is another passage Paul talks about in Romans 3. We just don't have it in us. We've messed up. And you might be saying, wait a minute, you said no one seeks after God. Are you saying people aren't religious? Not at all. This passage, for, by grace, through faith, for works, assumes every one of us is religious. And that people do search and seek out and look through all sorts of religions and keep looking. But I'll tell you this, religion is the way I cover up for my mistakes often. Religion is the way that I try to seek a God that fits in with what I already believe about myself, that I need to be in control, that I need to have it my way, that I need to be safe, that I... Feuerbach, who is a philosopher, was probably right when he said that God is just a projection for most people, a projection of their fears, their needs, their whatever. So religion, well... I no longer, I don't seek God any more than Adam and Eve after they sinned in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of the Bible, sought after God and ran to him because, oops, we messed up, God. We need you. They did not do that. They instead, what does it say? They hid from themselves and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And so religion, honestly, is our fig leaf, our kind of covering, our trying to look good are trying to not be vulnerable and exposed, are trying to have something in between us and God because we're, we know we're not quite what we need to be and therefore us, we believe we're going to be able to do a good job. How effective were the fig leaves? Maybe a day or two, they're going to, yeah, right? How effective is our job at taking care of ourselves and coming up with our own solutions? Yeah, that's why grace is so important. Because back in the garden, Adam and Eve didn't look for God. You hear God walking in the cool of the garden. You can read this in Genesis 3. And he cries out to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? Now this is God, right? Did God know? Yeah. So why did he ask? Adam didn't know. Adam didn't know where he was. He had no clue how lost he was. And God is a God who seeks and a God who steps in with grace again and again. Grace always comes first in your relationship with God. It is by grace you are saved through faith. Robert Capon wrote, Grace works without requiring anything on our part. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free. It's absolutely free, unconditional, given to you freely. By grace, you are saved through faith. I love how in Acts chapter 16, Paul comes to Europe for the first time. He breaks out of Asia, and he comes to Europe, gets over into Greece, and the first place he comes to is a town called Philippi. I think it was named after Philip of Macedonia. And um, he comes to this town and he goes down to the river because there's no other place of worship that he knows of. And he goes down to the river and he meets this lady named Lydia because she dyed purple cloth. So she had some money because that's what it meant in those days. And when he started proclaiming the gospel, Acts 16, 14 says it this way, the Lord opened 
her heart to respond to Paul's message. Isn't that great? That shows grace even a little step further. It's not that I have to open my heart to the message, but that the Lord is going to open the heart. So when you have people who say, oh, I just don't know, I don't know, you believe, I just don't even believe, you can tell them, I understand. I'm there too. God will open your heart. That's his job. He'll take the gospel word, the goodness of his grace, and open your heart to hear his good news. Oh, they might respond, wait a minute. Faith? Well, you're such a person of faith. I just don't have faith. I, I just really don't have it. Do you believe? Are there people without any faith at all? I don't think so. You see, so many people think unbelief in, in Jesus, not believing in Jesus, means that they don't have faith at all. The truth is, we all have faith. The biggest problem is we're not a blank slate. We're not empty, and then, oh, faith comes in. The fact is, I've got a very strong faith that has to be uprooted and moved out for true faith in God to move in. There's a presence of another kind of faith in me. Jesus saw this in his ministry many times. In Matthew chapter 11, he was so frustrated with the crowds once, he finally said, you know, what can I compare this generation to? <laughs> what am I going to compare this generation to? They're like children sitting in a marketplace calling out, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. You didn't do what we wanted. What is he saying? You got so much faith in yourself that you know exactly what you need, when you need it, and how, and you know how to get it. You're going to figure it out, always. You don't believe in me because you believe so much in you. I've got such a strong faith. This is not something you have to tell people about or instruct people to have. The youngest child will say, I want, when they can actually express it. I know what's best for me. You too, right? Me do. I've got it. I'm in charge. Now, you might not have faith that you can get what you want, but you have faith. We all have a faith in believing we know best for ourselves. Whether I can get it or not, I know what's best. Don't tell me what to do. And Jesus is saying that has to come out of the way. I know what I want. Everybody's a person of faith. The question is, what is your faith in or who is your faith in? Nobody but the absolute miracle of God by the gift of the Holy Spirit believes in the gospel. When the gospel comes by grace to someone, it also elicits faith and generates and creates what isn't there. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, just before our passage today, but, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace comes in, and grace comes before faith because Jesus Christ came when he wasn't even wanted, when we didn't even know what we needed. 
God stepped in for Adam and Eve and spoke to them and provided for them when they didn't know they had a problem. Grace is the God's divine intervention in this world time and again, where Jesus, ultimately, he is born and rejected and pushed off to a side. He teaches, he heals, he loves, he gives, he serves without any limit. He dies on the cross so you might live. He becomes sin so that you would be the righteousness of God. And anyone here who has faith today, who believes today, knows it's a divine miracle that it isn't about ourselves. There's nothing to boast about. We didn't come up with it. We didn't manufacture it. It was a gift of God from the beginning. You know it's a miracle because grace is what causes faith. Faith is that gift of God. And Paul even says, to clarify it in this passage, not works. Don't change faith into works. Don't change grace into works. So this week, um, like every other week, I blew it time and again. Some of you might know some of the sins I did. So the mess up, some of you might not, but I blew it. Me first. I know what's best. You do, you follow me. All sorts of things. Now, some of it get, you know, now there are two ways, even as a Christian, I can look and, and um, even though I know I'm saved by grace through faith, sometimes when I blow it like that, what do I do? I almost reverse the order and go, oh no, oh, okay, I've... I've got to make up for it. Now I've got to do these things. Now I've got to, and I could beat myself up because of the mistakes I made, the, the bad things I did for the next day and a half, two days, beat myself up enough until I feel like I'm sorry enough so that I now sort of almost deserve to be forgiven. What have I really accomplished? What have I accomplished? Nothing. I've just claimed myself to be an orphan outside of the family until I prove myself, and I've just claimed myself to be homeless without a place to reside when God in Christ has made me his very own member of the family by grace, and when God in Christ has given me a home and even resides in me as his home. So grace is not something to just get in. It is something that we live with all along. R.J. Grunewald wrote in a blog recently, and he stated it well. Here's a lie most Christians have been taught, either blatantly or indirectly. The lie that many of us have taught and many of us believe is that grace is the work God gets us in, but our work is what changes us. It's by grace, through faith, for works. Grace runs all the way through. When grace starts out, grace keeps going. You don't graduate from grace. God's riches that have been freely given to you through Jesus Christ cost him everything. You don't um, go beyond grace. You don't exceed grace. You don't add to grace. You just live in that grace. You relish in that love. You cherish that grace. You are immersed in that grace. You are absolutely, God, you are not on probation. 
You're not on parole. You're not walking a tightrope through life. You are not um, on some type of a leash by God uh, 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 of suspicion that you're going to go in the wrong places. You are absolutely freed. You are absolutely forgiven. You're unconditionally loved. You were given everything by grace so that all of life is a gift. And so, it's by grace through faith and then for works. But the works themselves are gifts from God. Did you notice in this passage it says God has already prepared them in advance for you to do. So, it's not like something you have to come up with. He's prepared them in advance for you to do. And I believe the first work of grace that happens, we already have done that this morning, lovingly, uh, wonderfully, is gratitude. There's no boasting, this passage says. In other words, we praise God and thank God and just are thrilled that, and we respond to God and we just say, wow, look at all of this. And so, our lives, when life is a gift, it is one of gratitude and thanksgiving, and that's the work of God in our lives that we have even responded. And the second one is kind of the flip side of it, and that is humility. It's not about me. I'm not saved because of anything I've done. I'm not any better than anybody else. There's nothing to boast at here. From this book again, David Zoll, Ethan Richardson, and William McDavid wrote, they say this, to throw oneself upon grace instead requires radical humility. It will often feel like death, like one's virtue or willpower are being stripped away. This is merely the long and ongoing, never complete process of recognizing who we really are, which Christ's freedom and condemnation gives us the freedom to do. I guess at this point in time, the question really is, Maybe you've never, maybe you've thought you've never had faith to trust Jesus, to throw yourself on him in a sense. I hope you understand his grace is for you. You're saved, nobody is saved by any other means, by grace through faith for works. What's holding you back? Is it still trying to believe in yourself? that you know what's best? Is it the fear of losing control? You never had it. You never will have control. Is it the fear of letting go? Is it somehow you still think you gotta save yourself? You just can't. You don't need to. You are gifted. You are given. Your gifted grace is freely given to you now. God replaces your unfaltering belief in yourself with just the abandoned trust in Jesus. He replaces it with that full trust. Just grab onto him. Hold onto him. Let go of yourself. And he even gives you works to do that he's already prepared in advance, works of gratitude and humility and service, and you don't even have to hold on to them. They're just done to glorify God. That's what you're made for. 
to declare his glory by grace through faith or works. Pray with me.